Today's Bible reading is in the book of Revelation on page 1240. I'll be reading chapter 6 and then um, Robin will start at chapter 7. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Beginning at chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. 
from the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, Bible or electronic device open at that passage. There we go. Thank you. I wanted to uh, start off by asking you a question. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of interactive talk again today. It's good to keep us on our toes. Who knows who this is? Who's that? Yell, yell it out. Who? Turia? Turia? Taria? Pitt. That's right. Um, uh, she's an athlete, uh, an ultramarathon runner. Uh, a few years back, she was in a race, uh, got caught in a flash forest fire. 65% of her body burned. Doctors thought she'd die. Certainly never uh, walk properly again. And uh, who knows where this photo is taken from, what she just achieved? Yeah, Coney Hawaiian Ironman, which just happens to be the toughest uh, long endurance race a human being can do in the world. Um, she didn't win it, but she completed it. And uh, what amazes me is I've read some of the backstory uh, around Turia and uh, and how on earth she crosses the finish line uh, at the end of a Hawaii Ironman. Um, it was just a story of amazing focus and tenacity. Um, as I said, uh, 65% of her body burned. Um, she... To get back running, she's had to negotiate more than 200 obstacles. Uh, 
you know, compared to just a normal athlete. Over 200 obstacles. So, for example, because so much of her body was burned, she doesn't sweat. So she has actually has a problem sort of um, keeping cool, if you like. Uh, and what's tough about the Hawaii Ironman, of course, are the temperatures. You're running on a volcano. Um, it's, it's black rock. And so they've designed special sort of things to keep her cool. Um, and now she's overcome adversity. She's crossed the, the finish line in this toughest um, event. And it's, it's a great just sort of segue into where we're up to with the book of Revelation, just to orientate those of us um, who perhaps just coming in to this series, because we've been reminded so far in the book of Revelation that to choose Christ, to choose to live for Jesus and his kingdom priorities, you're actually signed up to the toughest endurance race a human being can ever be a part of. Why choose Christ? Uh, well, as we've already been reminded last week, because of the victor's crown uh, that is worth so much more than any prize we can chase after after in this world the victor's crown that is waiting there for those who stay loyal to jesus that the promise of resurrection life with god now, part of the bactoria that turia shares in, in in how she achieved her goal uh, was that she just would have given up many times without the constant support of her husband who was just always there and always waiting for her at the end of every finish line and again there's a similarity Therefore, what we've been reminded of what Jesus promises his followers, that he's with us always. He is our greatest supporter, the one who is cheering the loudest along the sidelines of life. And he promises he is there waiting for you and I at, at the finish line. He's waiting for those of us uh, who will keep trusting in him and promise that finish line. Uh, you'll notice uh, that I've got reading Revelation as point one in your leaflets. And it'd be good to open up your leaflet just at this point. Um, I didn't do this at the start of the series because it's at this point, chapter 6, through to the end of the book, that it's probably just helpful for us uh, just to think about um, different ways people have and still do read um, the Bible and read this last book. And uh, I think the, the way that we're, we're guided to read, uh, not just Revelation, but all of the Bible. I've listed some funny, uh, funny names there. Um, we notice, remember that Revelation... Um, it's not a puzzle book to be ciphered. It's a picture book um, that, again, if you haven't done it yet, find the time to read through the whole book in one sitting without any aids. Just read through the whole book and see what sense you come away with. That repeatedly you think you just seem to be reading about the same history over and over again from a different vantage point. It's a little bit like um, if you've been to Adelaide Oval um, uh, or Cooper Stadium and you've sat in different seats you know, to watch a sporting event. Um, you know, I've been and I've watched um, uh, footy from like high up, you know, in the third stand, the, the southern stand, on the fence, uh, on the side, in the members. And you watch it from the side, you get to appreciate the speed of the game, just how fast the ball's moving. Um, you go up really high, you get to appreciate the tactics and the strategy of the coach and why a team wins on the day. But then you go down on the fence and you hear the bone-crunching tackles, and you think, whoa, that's tough out there. You, same game, different perspective. And I want to suggest that this is what's going on here in the book of Revelation. Um, via the Apostle John, Jesus is giving us different vantage points uh, as believers 
looking at the same history, the same history between Jesus' first and second coming uh, and the implications of Jesus' victory on his cross. Uh, Revelation is God showing us that all of God's purposes for all of history, for every human being, um, they're actually all wrapped up in Jesus and his cross. So to these quickly just run through some of these headings. Um, some of the different ways, emphases if you like, that people have put on uh, reading Revelation is that word uh, preterist, it's a funny word, it just means past, okay, past history, that um, the book of Revelation is given to Christians at the end of the first century, so you know AD 90, um, just to do, to encourage them. Uh, life was tough under Nero, under a Domitian, uh, as the emperors, Christians were slaughtered. So it's only to do with those past events. So that's one um, interpretation. Uh, then there's the historist, or what I call a predictive history. Uh, so it's sort of um, a prediction of all of the main historical events that were going to happen between Christ's first and second coming, um, like a history written in advance. Um, the, the, only, the only problem is, is as you read different interpreters, uh, they, they seem to sort of put a lot of emphasis on historical events that are familiar to them. So um, Western writers, funnily enough, talk a lot about Western history. Um, there's the futurist or the end times that Revelation is all about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. It's actually got nothing to do with today. It's all to do tied up with when he comes back. Um, that's pretty popular today and you hear about sort of end time prophecies and those sort of things. Then there's the idealist or what I've just labelled the ahistorical, um, which is like, well, it's all too hard, can't really understand the details, so let's just take the big picture encouragement out of the book, which that Jesus wins, um, so, and it doesn't really have a lot of application to day-to-day life um, in the world today. Now, I want to suggest that there's some truth to all of these um, different um, ways of understanding Revelation. But um, that last one I've got there, the parallelist or parallel reading, I want to suggest is a way of just encompassing um, the, the truths of all of those readings um, and which just fits, as I suggest, with just with a natural reading of the book in the context of uh, the rest of the Bible. That, uh, by parallelist, I, I want to mean that Revelation, it's, just, it's about one history, one history that's repeated from different vantage points. It's not chronological, but parallel. Uh, Revelation is Jesus visually disclosing, disclosing the ramifications of his death, his resurrection and his coming again uh, for one period of history and with special emphasis for Christians to encourage Christians of every generation to endure to the end. Um, I came up with, um, you know, you know, anyone had like a stack of pancakes? You know, you get those stacks of pancakes, one on the other. So it's a bit like that. It's like a pancake stack um, where we've got um, each pancake is a slightly different flavour on top of one another. They're all pancakes um, and all about sort of, if you like, the one, the one history. Now that diagram I've got there in your leaflet, um, I'll just sort of have it in our leaflet every week from here on in, but it's just a way... People have tried to capture, um, if you like, um, the timelines of, of, of history. So on the left here, you've got creation. Creation, um, kingdom promised, is all about the Old Testament, okay? Where God's promises and you've got the pattern of his salvation. That first vertical line 
is Jesus' first coming. His, his cross, his resurrection, his first coming. Um, and then after that line, to the second line, is the time frame between Jesus' first and second coming. And the bottom line there, you notice I've got there, people of the tribulation. Um, and that's all people of the suffering. That's just a reminder that as Christians, just like everyone else in the world, we're still in the same body, same world that's groaning under the weight of sin. Um, and that things aren't going to change until Jesus comes back and makes everything new. Now, at Jesus' cross, what started to happen? If we move to the top, um, you had God's kingdom promises starting to break in to our world. And it's breaking in through the gospel. So every time the gospel's preached, a person hears and believes the gospel, they become a Christian, um, they become part of the people of the kingdom they become a christian and that top line is meant to understand it's it's god's future history god's future kingdom breaking in to our world today through the gospel and the reason i've got people of the kingdom and people of the tribulation is just turn back to revelation chapter 1 verse 9 revelation chapter 1 verse 9 because this is how John understands um, history and, and um, what it means to be a Christian or Christian identity. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are as in Jesus. See, what he's talking about in the suffering, he's talking about the suffering now, being a Christian in this world, in the kingdom, that is code for being a Christian, being a child of God, God's person, living under God's loving rule um, with, this, with the knowledge that you're going to be part of God's people in the future. So it's, what he's saying is, and what I'm trying to illustrate here, to be a Christian, it's like we've got two citizenships, two passports. Yeah, you're a citizen of, 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 of unique suffering. Only Christians are persecuted and suffer for Jesus' name. But we're also citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom. So we have a passport to suffering for Jesus' name but also a passport guaranteeing us that we will be with Jesus um, when he returns. We're going to be part of that resurrection life. Um, and of course, when Jesus comes back, all of God's kingdom purposes will be consummated, uh, where the world will be no more tears, will we'll live without any suffering or pain, new bodies, new world, no sin, um, part of the new creation. And... What Revelation is doing is giving us different perspectives on this same history. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 tell us about the church on earth. Seven churches representative of all churches of every generation. Of what it means to be a Christian, part of a local church, part of the people of the suffering. And we realise that there's not a lot of difference to being a faithful Israelite you know, in the Old Testament. Um, God's people have always been challenged and struggled with the same things uh, as they've tried to keep faith with their God. Last week, Revelation 4 and 5, what did we discover? God is on his throne and the Lamb. Uh, that our salvation, uh, we can be sure, we are secured. We saw that the throne is the place of unstoppable sovereignty. God really is in control of history. We saw that the scroll is the plan of all history 
And we saw that the Lamb of God, Jesus, is the key to destiny. Only he can unlock the scroll. Only he can save. That despite evidence to the contrary, at the very heart of reality, the key truth that local churches have shown is that God is on his throne, he's ruling, he's sovereign, uh, and that God is saving. He's bringing people through the gospel, he's bringing people one by one to be part of his kingdom people, to be part um, of his church. Now, we'll keep sort of coming back to that in coming weeks. Feel free to ask me about that. And if you want to read more about this, um, um, I recommend uh, a book called, it's out of print, you, you can only buy it secondhand. The best book ever written, I think, on understanding this in Revelation. It's called The Gospel in Revelation. Okay, The Gospel in Revelation by Graham Goldsworthy, um, I think, is, is, is the best thing to read around this. But moving on, as we get in and look at some of the key things that Jesus is showing John and showing us in Revelation chapter 6 and 7. So you can see from that diagram, I'm suggesting that Revelation 6 through 8 is the first cycle. It's the first pancake. Um, looking at all of history aspect um, from a certain vantage point between Jesus' first and second coming. As we heard, it's about six seals. And I've got there as the heading, God's sure judgment in Jesus. God's sure judgment in Jesus. What they show us, that since Jesus' cross, history has been unfolding in a series of judgment leading up to Jesus' second coming. The first seal... What did we see? We saw a white horse with a rider on it. Now, there's been a lot of debate about who the white rider is, but I want to suggest um, that, um, along with um, a lot of other uh, Christians, that the rider, he's wearing a crown. He's going out to conquer. Uh, And in chapter 19, verse 11, we're told that the rider on the white horse is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. I want to suggest this rider has to be Jesus. Only he is crowned. Only he is conquering, uh, and he's conquering the nations to win their allegiance. Since his cross, that's what he's been doing through Christians. From heaven's vantage point, is there any more impressive thing that's been going on in history the last 2,000 years than Jesus' life-changing gospel message going out to people and then being saved from hell to heaven? What of the other three horses and their riders? Uh, not difficult to look into any part of world history and recognise the things that are being said here. Seal 2, the red horse, verses 3 and 4. The rider is said to take peace from the earth, uh, to incline human beings to slay one another. Romans chapter 1, Paul says that as a part of God's judgment, he gives sinful human beings over to their sin over to their passions and their ways, um, that they might come to their senses. And uh, not a decade goes by that we do not hear of large-scale slaughter. Seal 3 is the black horse, the black horse, verses 5 and 6. Again, wars like wars, um, you know, wars and wars will continue until Jesus returns. So famines and floods and food shortages and an economic inflation where the rich seem to get richer and the poor seem to go without. Anywhere you look in world history, anywhere in the world, any generation, you see these things going on. Just in our own state, uh, sadly we had reported um, 
that over 3,000 children uh, a week uh, aren't sleeping in the home that they were born in. You know, a lot of them are homeless, um, sleeping behind bushes in schools and things. Um, where I get my car serviced, Andrew, he was sharing. Um, he's got a couple of disabled boys. That his wife has just started uh, a food a food bank for homeless people called um, Food and Soul, and um, they can't keep up with the rate of need. Business is going so, so rapidly. They've already got three um, centres in Adelaide, and they just can't keep up. Still four is the pale horse. We're told it's death, verses seven and eight. Um, one in four people are to die violently or because of natural disaster. Um, and why are we being told this as Christians? Because as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that we are not spared from this. We live in the same world. Becoming a Christian doesn't somehow make you immune from cancer or natural disaster uh, or the things that every human being suffers. The Lamb has, of course, not only warned us about these things, but he said that we, in becoming a Christian, you receive a passport to a special sort of suffering. Uh, the privilege to suffer for his name, for the name of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as we try to bring his gospel to those who need to hear it, to people who don't want to hear it. And so with the fifth seal... John sees not another horse, but an altar. Uh, Christian suffering. And this word called martyrdom or martyrs, people who are dying because they're, because they're standing up for Jesus. Now in the Old Testament days in the temple, uh, what people would see, the priests would see as the sacrifices were slaughtered, was of course all of the blood would drain off the altar and seep underneath the altar. And what John sees in this vision is instead of animal sacrifices, he sees the souls of countless Christian saints who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and are there under the altar. Christians live in the same world as the people who need the gospel. Um, we've been so privileged to be saved. But that privilege doesn't give us the right uh, to be selfish uh, and to become a sort of a closed community. We're not exempt from disease and natural disasters and Jesus expects us uh, as his servants to be serving him and his gospel purposes. Um, it's the cost of being Christ to the unsaved. Um, and if you want to read more about this, uh, John Piper has written a beautiful little series of books uh, that I think are the, the most encouraging Christian books I've ever read. Uh, it's a series called The Swans Are Not Silent. The Swans Are Not Silent. And the first one he wrote is called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. And he summarises this whole teaching in the Bible like this. God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God's plan is that his saving purpose for the nations will triumph through the suffering of his people for the sake of the lost. That is, uh, people are to see Christ in us, in the way we love people and serve them and suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. Jesus himself 
said to his followers in John chapter 16 with this next um, quote, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. But I've told you this so that when, this, that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Living life well, as we know, is all about expectations, having the right expectations. Um, Jesus is just saying, we've got to have the right expectations as a Christian. Uh, historian Stephen Newell, in his book, A History of Christian Missions, he mentions that this Christ-like suffering of the early Christians was one of the six reasons, the six reasons that the church grew so rapidly. So here's a little quote. Every Christian knew that sooner or later they might have to testify to their faith at the cost of their life. There is no doubt that the attitude of martyrs made a deep impression. There are numbers of well-authenticated cases of conversion of pagans in the very moment of witnessing the condemnation and death of Christians. And especially, not just men, but as women and children peacefully suffered the ultimate sacrifice and they witnessed that. Last century saw more Christians persecuted and martyred than the first 19 centuries together. Uh, our century has started with organisations like ISIS and there's a growing uh, aggressive secular agenda in the West. Uh, this, our century hasn't started well. And Jesus reminds his followers that God, like love, is long-suffering and patient love. God is holding back that day so that more people can be saved. And so his people need to be patient as the full quota of people who God is saving is met. question I have for us here in Australia, uh, is our turn coming? Or maybe it's already arrived. And so from martyred Christians under an altar in the temple, John then sees the sixth seal. And it's a great cosmic disturbance, isn't it? All the cosmos, all creation is groaning uh, and in tumult. He sees a great earthquake. John sees the sun going black, the, the moon turning blood red. He sees stars falling to earth. Uh, there's no part of the cosmos that is not affected by this sixth seal being opened. John sees that kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents and, and generals and dictators and, and rich and poor, all people, they are running for cover in an attempt to escape uh, this, what's going on and, and, and the final wrath, the judgment of the Lamb. Uh, we've just experienced uh, supposedly the severest a storm in her state in the last 50 years, um, a blackout, um, and it didn't matter whether you were the premier or a homeless person on the street. If you were the rich or the poor, uh, every person was affected. No amount or money or power could hold back that storm and its effects. Now, friends, that's just a little storm here. How much more the power and authority of the Lamb of God on who's on the throne. Like we, we've got to hear what Jesus is revealing here. That no human being 
can escape what is coming except by the blood of Jesus, except by the gospel. And of course, um, that fifth seal, John saw the souls of the martyrs crying out for justice. Read the Psalms, over a third of the Psalms, probably half the Psalms is a cry for justice. Uh, God's righteous people suffering at the hands um, of those who are opposed to God and his purposes of grace. Jesus is just reminding struggling Christians, a day is coming, that day of justice is coming. Hold on, hold on, that day is coming. But for now, what is needed is patient endurance, patient endurance. And see, what we've seen with these six seals are two realities. On the one hand, the victory of the Lamb, you've got the nations being evangelized. On the other hand, we've got violence, death, famine, got martyrdom. On the one hand, you've got the gospel of peace and reconciliation. But on the other hand, there is war and conflict and suffering. On the one hand, we've got world evangelization. On the other hand, we have Christians being persecuted, imprisoned and killed. Now, we've all experienced that, that urge, uh, the fight or flight moment. to sort of that, it's, it's the urge to self-protect, the urge to shrink back suddenly when we sense we're in danger or our loved ones are in danger um, or maybe we were speaking out about something and suddenly we, we, we see far out I need to just be quiet we've all experienced that haven't we can we understand that even the bravest human heart would succumb to anxiety and fear and temptation uh, when you see the lions come out uh, when you're threatened with death if you don't stop speaking about Jesus uh, you're threatened with death. Your family, your loved ones are threatened with death unless you deny Christ and become a member of another faith. So we need to be incredibly humble, I think, at this point and understand the love of Jesus and why chapter 7 is here. Because suddenly it's like we're in a movie and Jesus turns the lights on. He says, intermission, time for intermission. Um, time for intermission, that's what chapter 7 is. Um, suddenly, uh, there's a dramatic um, cessation of the opening of the seals. The seventh seals is held off and there's an intermission. Um, uh, why? Because it's the risen Jesus wanting to, again, give assurance to Christians, assurance to his servants, that they are sealed and they are safe. They are sealed and they are safe. Um, Chapter 7 divides up beautifully into two halves. Uh, and they're two halves saying the same thing. Uh, verses 1 to 8, um, until all the numbered servants of God are saved. Just have a look again at those first four verses with me. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living god he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our god then i heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of israel What's going on here? There's a delay. 
but notice why the delay verse 3 do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God Um, that is talking about Christians that's the way revelation defines a Christian to be a Christian is to be a servant of God a servant of Jesus it's actually the word for bond servant or slave I don't know if you ever thought of yourself as a slave of Christ but that's actually what the word means despite their suffering for Jesus name nothing can threaten a believer's future with Jesus they are sealed and secured you'll notice that I've called this talk God's seal equals God's sure thing Uh, when God seals it you can be sure it's it's God's sure thing Um, and how great have we been reminded here of God's long-suffering love and patience he says he's he's holding back that final day of judgment until the full quota of people are saved Uh, God will not be rushed until heaven is full and this is what the 144,000 means God's full quota now just remember that numbers in Revelation they're symbolic Um, uh, they're here to reveal and inspire uh, that not to sort of conceal and, and amuse okay they're not here to sort of uh, be a puzzle so four is a number of nature uh, seven is a, is a basic number of per- perfection or fulfillment in the book of revelation um, like you know the seven days of creation you've got 12 seems to be the number for god's people uh, and then 10 is a number of completeness so you've got um, the idea of the twelve thousands here um, it's a, it's a symbolic representation of the full quota, the full number of the people of God. And the suggestion is um, from a few places in Revelation that because not every tribe of um, Israel is mentioned, uh, because whenever the language, the servants of our God is used in Revelation in and in the Bible, it's always talking about Jew and Gentile. And, Paul, and the, that point's already been made earlier on in chapter 1 of the book. And so 144,000, it's talking about the complete quota of God's people, uh, Jew and Gentile, when heaven will be full. Uh, and Revelation, it, it depicts Jesus' church. It's, it's being persecuted, hammered, and often threatened, ravaged and killed. Um, and if you think about it, we've been you know from a worldly point of view and i reckon i don't know every year or two the media comes out and says oh you know the the church has had its day it it it's, it's always looks vulnerable to the eye of the unbeliever the church the people of god um as somehow the church is in demise uh, but we need to look at what's happening in the world and in history through the lens of scripture and through what god is doing he's saying no no i'm always adding to my numbers and with each century Uh, more and more people in the world are Christian servants of God are sealed Uh, and in a world where uh, you and I we're increasingly being sort of becoming a statistic um, relationships and the way we relate are becoming more impersonal and nameless Uh, this first half of chapter 7 is a great encouragement that the God of the universe is personal he sees and knows each individual human being by name not one 
will slip out of his care. Uh, He's counting. He's counting. God's seal equals God's sure thing. Uh, I've got another scripture here from Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul writing. He says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. And of course, chapter 7, we see the people here who are gathered around God and, and the Lamb on his throne, praising God. God's seal is the stamp of God's ownership. God's seal is the mark of authenticity. Are you an authentic Christian? God's seal is the guarantee of security. God's seal is the courage and the confidence we need to keep standing up and speaking out for Jesus. God's seal is not permission for us to become smug, selfish, self-serving or silent. Growing up, uh, often my dad would get me to sit on the rail or one of us, uh, we had to count the 100 plus cows as they went down the race to the paddock uh, to make sure that the full quota was there. He always knew how many were in the herd. And sometimes, uh, maybe through bad counting or not, uh, but the, the, there were, you know, we counted less than he knew were meant to be in the herd. Uh, and my dad would just, you know, he'd just say, look, oh, well, don't worry about it. We'll just count them again tomorrow and, you know. Well, no, he never said that. (laughs) He never said that. We always had to get in the ute, go down, count them again, and if we came up short, my dad would count this time, um, because the cows were on a swamp, there were strip channels, and often the cows couldn't be blowed walking up to the water trough, so they'd go down into the the channel for a drink and fall in. Um, And I lost count of the number of times we had to come up, get the tractor with a rope, and pull a, a cow out who was literally stuck and bogged and drowning. Uh, in the channel but that's just what the first half of revelation 7 is saying Uh, god's personal he counts he knows none will slip through he cares deeply that every uh every person uh who wants to be there will be there on that day in heaven and brothers and sisters if god is working night and day to bring in the full quota then can we understand why jesus gets so shirty so shirty with local Christians in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Christians in Ephesus-like churches. Christians who know a lot, a lot of head knowledge, but their love has cooled. Um, so shirty and, and, and warns them. We can understand why Jesus is so angry and warns Christians in churches like Laodicea, who are neither hot or cold, but insipid, and warns them they're about to be spat out of his mouth because they become religious consumers going through the motions. And so the second half of this chapter, it gives us a snapshot of a multitude that can't be counted. You've got the counted and then those who can't be counted. Again, illustrating... um, God's love for the nations, God's love for people of every tribe and language and nation. Uh, So great a multitude that they won't be able to be counted. And this great multitude of those, of course, who have stayed loyal to Jesus, 
They've loved and lived and died trusting and serving the Lord Jesus. What's Jesus saying to local churches everywhere? You can trust my word. This, that, that you're safe, you're secure. Everyone there is clothed in a white robe of purity and honour. They didn't get it because they earned it. They got it because the Lord Jesus has clothed every person who will be in heaven by the blood of the lamb it's by his blood our sins are washed and cleansed and we saw here that the lamb of god is also the great shepherd of god he's the shepherd he's not he doesn't just cleanse us and wash us clean but he's the shepherd protecting and watching over us and leading us to that great day so whatever opposition may come our way here is reason to embolden our witness even if it means martyrdom. And we've got to keep this vision in Revelation 7 in mind. It's the, it's the saved people of God, the standing people of God, raised, resurrected, the serving people of God who were there on that day. So just as we uh, conclude, we've been reminded again, Revelation is not a chronology, not a timeline of history, but a character of history for Christ's people. These signs and patterns, they're not a timetable. Uh, it's not a countdown. Um, you know, when you, you drive down to um, the, the Southern Expressway, um, and you know you're getting to the end of the Southern Expressway, because the sign says, end of Southern Expressway. Um, this is not Revelation. No, no, no. It's more like when you drive down the Southern Expressway, and again, they're doing roadworks, or, you know, they've got the warning lights out along the way, just saying, you know... Um, drive carefully drive carefully Um, it's more like revelation and what's going on here they're they're flashing lights to warn and to encourage that we might stay alert and stay focused being confident that the end there is an end we just don't know when it is and so stay focused on Jesus stay alert don't become complacent because if you run off the road you just won't arrive at the end We've uh, hopefully been encouraged as we've heard some of the encouragement from those uh, students that went to CV. Um, As I said, what was most encouraging sitting around the table listening to those who went, I think six or seven for the first time, was the the overriding message, of course, is that what matters is that we just, there's only one sort of Christian, the disciple-making Christian, the full-time Christian, uh, and that that's the mindset we all need to take. And to hear the way they were energised and they were thinking about what their next steps were, what it looked and sounded like for each of them to step up or to step in, to get more involved in kingdom things. I think it was a great example of how we all need to be thinking and I think what's on view here. But we finish with the seventh seal and silence in the beginning of chapter 8. With the opening of the seventh seal, there is silence. Now, let me ask you a question. When was their last silence like this in the New Testament? Anyone know? At the cross. That's exactly right. When did God last come in person and visit and be among his people? When was God revealed in the mystery and his mercy and his majesty? At the cross. And the suggestion is that this silence, it's a silence of awe. 
um, as we begin to be told what's going to happen, what it's going to be like when God again comes and is in our midst. Just awesome, awesome. And how awesome will it be when Jesus comes again? Let me pray. Loving Father, thank you uh, for these chapters here. Just a reminder again that um, using the idea of a scroll of seals, that when you seal something, um, it's a sure thing. And thank you that to put our trust in Jesus is to receive the seal, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You are with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing in this world, no power uh, can separate us um, from what you guarantee us. Uh, being part of your people on that day when Jesus returns. And Father, I really want to pray that we would be greatly uh, encouraged for those of us who are really struggling. Um, I just pray we'd be encouraged in faith. For those of us who have maybe become a bit complacent, uh, we've, our conscience, conscience is pricking us about sin in our life, I pray that we, we would have been given, given great reason uh, to turn to you knowing that you are there waiting to forgive. Um, and Father, we pray for those of us um, who are um, yeah, just wanting to continue uh, to love and live and to serve you with all vigour and grace. Just help us to, we pray, um, leave here more confident, more courageous as we head into this week to live for you, to speak out for Jesus, um, to not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.